0: I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed. Nothing signed. They they just approve your email address, and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way. If you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet, you need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their back-end stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, All for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below Viva Sight Vault. Thank you, Viva.
1: Guru Nation, we are live. Yes, we are live with the one and only. The, the Craig there is Craig is the influencer in the space. Craig is a, was and is an influencer before there was such a thing as influencer i remember craig you were like the first guy i came across i think it was from twitter back in 2009 i started following researchers by the way we have to make twitter great again for researchers like it's <laughs> <laughs> what happened we got to get back on there man that was like popping back in 2010 you remember those times
2: I remember those times Stan man it's good to be back here with you I feel like it's been way too long I was like searching on uh YouTube and <laughs> the, the time machine and I was like man look at me and young Dan and young Craig there like 10 man. 11 years ago
1: yeah uh, we look better than ever right now man 2023 the industry the more things change the more they stay the same so DCT you know everybody's well, not everybody, but there's there's been this story on Care Access that broke on Friday and there's a lot of speculations and many feel okay, this DCT bubble might burst or might have popped um, and I think we need to separate the, the actual technology, like the tools that empower patient centricity and I don't really like that word much, I mean who can argue with that word, but I don't like the way it's used. It's used to fundraise. That's why I don't like it. It's not used to actually care about the it's, it's
2: used for fundraising. It's used for, um, uh, I guess, culture campaigns internally. But when it's used for marketing, it's pointless. Uh, Because to your point, you're patient-centric. I love babies. I love puppies. (laughs) I love patients. That's all great. But what do you do to invest in doing something different in how you're engaging with puppies and babies and Mm -hmm. patients? And if you can't really prove that, then, you know, maybe it's good for your internal culture if there are some other things you're doing internally. But otherwise, it just becomes really diluted uh, rhetoric.
1: Yeah. You ever see like these startup tech companies in research, their pitch decks. I mean, I'm, you see probably – I've only seen a few. You've probably seen hundreds. Like they Thank use you, these yeah, buzzwords, patient journey. Let's give them more e-pros to enhance their patient journey. Anyone who works in the space at a site level knows that's not enhancing the pay- – more e-pros well, I mean, is not enhancing it. People –
2: I've seen companies with back-end quality management systems say that it's a patient-centric platform. It has no direct contact with patients, but if they do their job well, it's improving quality, and that's good for patients. Well, yeah, that's true. You know what else is good for patients? The UPS truck arriving on time is good for me. Like, there's a lot of things that are. But you know, if if you're that many degrees of separation from actually touching a patient, it is a little bit harder to uh, to kind of believe in those words they they definitely become like rhetoric but I, I guess if you kind of track the booths at scope and dia maybe they went through their phase of patient centric and decentralized and now it's all ai powered blah, blah blah so you know oh, if yeah. you believe in the marketing words meaning anything that those are certainly the trends but i think there's something more meaningful than just what people are are putting on their booths and websites
1: mm-hmm um so this care access thing—I mean, it confused me because I'm, I'm a traditional site owner. I was joking with Doctor Fox. You know, our, our counter to the, I don't, i guess it's like a DCT site centric or reinvented site model. Our buzzword should be real site because I think that has a lot of power. Like, hey, we're a real site. We're not VC backed. Um, do you think this care access? fiasco or whatever issue. I mean, we don't know what came out, but it must have been something pretty significant for Pfizer to say half. Pfizer to go public with it and say half the data is not usable. That's the last thing they wanted to do. Do you think this is doing more to confuse people about DCT? Like the entire, like all the tools of DCT, the ones that, that you believe in, um, and the ones actually all of us believe in, because who's to argue with giving patients more, more options? Do you think this has done a disservice to all the other DCT companies that are actually trying to do something good.
2: So there's there's a lot in that sentence, right? So what is CareAxis and, and their peers? What do they do relative to decentralized tech versus other solutions that are out there? So why don't we uh, why don't we back that up a click and then we can sort of roll forward into, well, what does it actually mean in terms of the impact and the consequences? First, we have to remember that there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of rumor sharing. There's a lot of past employees that are sharing things. And then there's a lot of other kind of speculators on the internet just kind of sharing their hunches and suspicions about things facts are going to come but that's going to require a little more patience for more information from pfizer or care access and ultimately from the fda if they're doing inspections we know if there are findings there will be write-ups and if there are write-ups we will see them but we're not going to get that tomorrow or next week or even next month, we know that there's a cycle time to that and people are impatient. And I get that. Um, for most people that are following this online, rightfully so, their first priority should be around the participants in the trial um why were they removed versus just transferred elsewhere and how are they being monitored for safety but again we're just outside speculators i'm not at pfizer i'm not at care access i'm not at a site that's otherwise involved so all we can do is kind of hope that the right thing is being done and make sure that people are held accountable around that and then for the rest of us it's about whether the learnings that come out and the impact and the consequences now As you said earlier, Dan, everybody wants more access for patients in studies, period. I don't think that there are site owners, real sites, other alternative sites, decentralized tech, I run into this is kind of like the word patient-centric, right? Show me somebody that says they're against improving access for participants in trials. So in today's world, what does that look like? Well, there are decentralized approaches that people have taken. And remember, like we can look back at the DTRA website and their glossary. When we talk about decentralized and decentralized methods, the purpose there is how do we create options for patients for certain visits or for all visits, but how do we create options for them um, around whether they go to a site or they can participate remote to a site? So that's one compartment around decentralized. The adjacency to that in terms of improving access is how do we bring more sites that are closer to patients, right? So one side of the coin around decentralized is we're not using more sites, we're using existing sites, but we're trying to stretch so that people can participate without always having to go to those sites. The other side of the coin is let's open more sites that are closer to where people are. And so what does that tend to look like? Well, we've seen large site networks. And you mentioned in terms of financing, some of these are private equity-backed that are opening lots of sites around the country. We've seen um, retail pharmacy come into this space. We've seen companies bringing pop-up or mobile sites into this space. Now, many of them would argue and say, we're real sites, too. You know, Just because my site is on wheels, when you walk inside and you see a waiting room and a phlebotomy area and drug storage and all the rest, their message is, look, we're trained, we're accountable. It's just at the end of the day, we're wheels up and parking somewhere else. And so to me, the story may not be who's a real site and who's a site that's doing it a different way. It comes back to our cornerstones of what's our process for staff, for training, for oversight, our tools for accountability at the site level, then what's the role of the CRAs and what visibility and tools do they have to do their job? And what's the role of the sponsor to ensure oversight and accountability around these areas? Whether you're a traditional site that's in one location with brick walls or you're a site on wheels or you're popping up. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see as more of these facts come out, but it's good for us, I think, to kind of, Separate these two sides of the coin. They both work towards the same goal of improving access, but some of these organizations are doing them in in very different ways.
1: I want to separate these tech tools, like some of the things you're passionate about, because the way you explained it to me in in this private thread we had going on was it actually made sense. Like I actually ended up agreeing with we're basically – for the same thing it's just the way they're packaged because there's so much confusion i feel like that gets lost in all this other noise like you've been saying and yeah who at the end of the day really who cares what's a real site what's a unconventional site i mean if there's enrolling patients following gcp that's fine so far though so far i mean has there been successful like unconventional sites like how Have there been studies with these sites?
2: That's a great question. I think that, you know, when we look at kind of the tech for decentralized, we're seeing a lot of that come out with with meaningful scale with things like video visits or, um, you know, providers of home health and so on. So I think for a lot of sponsors today, a lot of the pharma sponsors, that's been the core of their kind of decentralized strategy, this kind of core set of decentralized tools of e-consent. You mentioned as far as diaries, uh, video and home health, drug supply chain extensions that may allow for shipments maybe to the patient's home. I think that that's where a lot of energy has been placed we're seeing a lot of experimentation, I would say, around the ladder. And this Care Access example is a pretty, obviously, significant beyond an experiment if it's representing this many sites in the study. But um, for many, when they're looking at retail pharmacy or mobile units, I don't think we're necessarily seeing it at that type of scale. We're still seeing a lot of organizations testing and experimenting and kind of figuring out where these different solutions fit best in terms of their portfolio, um, as well as, you know, in terms of their operations and at what scale they should go. Now, in terms of any sort of impact coming out of what we're so far understanding from this space, like I, I would say in terms of innovation in general, I think that this may throttle people's push to go scaling things very quickly. And maybe in some places that's very appropriate, right? It's going to hopefully double down on people's risk management planning and oversight planning for any of the innovative approaches they may be considering. I think that if you have... Solutions that are focused on oversight, on training and tracking, on study process support, those types of tools, I think will probably get a little more attention from sponsors, as will high quality CRAs for oversight, as will research site networks that have been in the game for a while and kind of have a proven track record. I think they'll get, you know, probably some increased attention and visibility right now from sponsors, at least while people are awaiting many of the details. I think there'll be more scrutiny for those that have some of these more innovative site models, especially if there's concern about them scaling ahead of themselves in a Mm -hmm at a time when we're still struggling for, for workforce and talent, we're still struggling, you know, even for individual sites, right? Like yourself, Dan, I know you're rolling up your sleeves as a coordinator because of staffing issues, even just at individual sites, nevertheless at uh, very large networks. And so I think there'll be more scrutiny to make sure that if people are doing things and they're trying to scale, it's it's hopefully supported to be stepwise and, and rational and not, you know, not at crazy rates. Now, Dan, I will say, you know, you know, you mentioned as far as venture, um, the last two years before this past year, there was a lot of venture money being thrown into growth, growth, growth. And so my, my hunch is maybe some companies did get ahead of themselves in terms of trying to scale very quickly. A lot of that capital though is dried up and it's really much more focused as you hear in the headlines on on profitability and responsible use of capital. And so maybe the capital markets are actually going to do us a bit of a favor in terms of throttling some exponential growth, which was really hard to sustain and being more champions for stepwise growth that focus on profitability for the company, but hopefully for the rest of us mean stepwise and with a good focus on quality.
1: Profitability. What a concept, Greg. So these guys got a a little ahead of their skis here on uh, care access and, um, Well, I I can't speak
2: for air access specifically, but, you know, they did raise a lot of (laughs) capital and a lot of organizations in our space have access to a lot capital. Um, but, you know, there's, there was clearly an issue here, and, you know, like we were talking about at the break, Dan, you know, lots of sites have a quality issue here and there and, and they work with their CROs and their sponsors mm-hmm. to manage them. It's that's how we're judged, right? Not if there's a quality issue, but how we respond to them. Um, but it's very different when you have this extraordinary scale that you're trying to bring to a study where you represent over half the patients or represent over half the sites um, all of a sudden, you know, quality issue that may have seemed, you know, manageable and certainly wouldn't earn a lot of headlines in this study is now a very different scale.
1: Yeah, I wanted to get thank you for that. Actually, this this that's a good segue. I wanted to get your opinion. For those that don't know, I probably should have done this in the beginning. Um, Craig is like a former executive director, right? With Pfizer. Any other drug companies, or was it just Pfizer?
2: I was at a uh, small venture-backed biotech before okay, Pfizer, okay. where I ran clinical and regulatory, and then I was at mm-hmm. Pfizer for uh, a dozen years. I was the head of clinical innovation, a delightfully ambiguous title that uh, you know meant that we were doing things around <laughs> digital and uh, patient engagement strategies, uh, collaborations with large health systems to bridge research and healthcare, and a lot of our multi-stakeholder initiatives launching things like Transcelerate.
1: Yeah, I remember back in the day 2010, when we did our first interviews, I was like, this guy, virtual trials at Pfizer, they're trying to get rid of sites. And then over the decades, I see that no, you know, maybe that was the intention. I don't know. But definitely the way we are now where we stand, it's more to enhance sites and give patients the options from what I understand of DCT and basically your school of thought and many others like you. So I think they are. I mean, if you look at eSource and eReg 10 years ago, even five years ago, that would have been like a radical innovation to get sites to use eSource and eReg. In many respects, that's a DCT component also, no?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, where eSource and eREG can enable monitors to do their jobs effectively without coming on site, then yes, it is a it is a, a variant of decentralizing in terms of the workforce and providing flexibility. These solutions should provide us, you know, improved experience, you know, in this case, maybe for monitors, site staff, but also, you know, these other elements for patients. It should provide us with resilience, resilience. Right. In the case of an uncertain environment, whether it's COVID 23 or murder hornets or whatever it may be, if a patient or a CRA can't get to a site, how do we make sure we have confidence to monitor patients and provide them access to investigational product? You know, I think we're seeing now a lot of sponsors are starting to look at these approaches through the lens of, of, um, Sustainability and their ESG requirements as an organization. And so, whether it's um, patient travel or uh, uh, CRA travel, how can these approaches help to support our desires, or aspirations for more green clinical trials that can have less of a negative impact on our planet? So, when we think about burden to patients, we think about burden to site staff. Now, we should also be thinking about burden to the planet and how do these solutions support. Support that, um, but Dandy, to your point earlier about you know the 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 hostile or friendly relationship of decentralized with sites, you know I, I should mention I co-chair the Decentralized Trials Research Alliance. We have site networks and hospital systems as members of DTRA, and it's in large part because when pharma sponsors today. Like the embodiment of patient centricity in a lot of their organizations means during study design and planning, I'm talking to patients, patients representative of those that I want to enroll in the trial. And when you talk to patients, you'll hear most often that that access is a barrier right, that people are traveling a great distance or have childcare, or have other responsibilities. But when you talk to past trial participants, you frequently hear overwhelming support for the experience they've had at their research sites, whether it's looking at Syscript data on, you know, satisfaction at a research site, whether it's looking at um, trials, uh, trial journey, and their ratings of investigator sites, it's overwhelmingly positive. So the barrier isn't the fix for our ecosystem, isn't let's do away with research sites. The fix is how do we help people to access those research sites and bridge that gap? You know, the other footnote to me, Dan, is always, you know, our desired goal if we talk about access isn't let's open more doors for patients and shut other doors in the process, right? Now you're not opening more net doors you're just shifting the door right which that door worked for some people right so how do we open more doors and keep the existing doors open and right so we can create more points of access for people to, to uh to reach a study whether whether it's going into a site whether it's participating remote or in most cases giving people some sort of choice wherever we can so that they can come in if it makes sense and if that visit can allow they can be remote if that makes sense
1: So in that spirit of opening more doors, okay, I mean, on paper, this care access, and not to single them out, I mean, for all we know, there's another big DCT, sightless or hybrid, whatever they call themselves out there doing worse. I mean, for all we know, it's possible. In the spirit of opening more doors, Craig, as somebody who has worked at a director level of big sponsors, how does this even get approved? Like, how, how do we allow, how does Pfizer, not that you're speaking for Pfizer, but just in, in theory, how does this get approved? Like, if I go to pitch, hey, 50 of my sites or 50% of your data will come from my sites. The first thing they're going to tell me is, hey, risk mitigation, we can only allow maybe a few of your sites because we don't want all the data to come from one company in case something happens quality so how does this get approved on top of that for something that's unconventional like very little track record of how this actually worked in the past like how does who who approves this how does this deal not this one in particular but something like this how does it even get presented like the audacity of them to present it. But then somebody at the other end is responsible for saying, yeah, no, this is a great idea. It's 18,000 patients. You guys give us nine. Keep
2: in mind Dan, you know, all of these models that are presenting like a new variant of a research site because that's what these are, go tend to go through the same site selection evaluation that any site goes through. And keep in mind that your contacts in pharma that uh, or on the CRO side that are liaising with you as a site owner are also getting calls all the time from site networks or from um selling agents that may represent bundles of research sites. And so, in many ways, care access and their peers go in through those same channels because there are colleagues in pharma and in the CRO that own site selection, that own the evaluation around their quality, that own the monitoring of that and the oversight of that process. Site networks have been going through those same doors, and many of those site networks are getting larger and larger to the point that they too could easily represent 50% of the enrolling sites in a clinical trial, especially a trial like a vaccine study, where so many of the site networks today have really thrived in supporting the vaccines uh, like like during the coronavirus pandemic. So I, I think, you know, when we think about players like this, I don't think they're getting a side loading process. They're going through the same doors that all site networks are going through, which is just a slightly wider door than all sites have been going through for some time. Site networks, in the eyes of sponsors, can be really a nice efficiency, Right. And it's not like they're it's an SMO necessarily story. Many of these site networks are entirely owned. Um, They uh, so there is sort of a better sense of owner site oversight. And quite honestly, as I mentioned, many of them have delivered really well over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have one. We have an informal one with DSCS. Every site we have about 80 or so sites in our network. But each one is independently owned and operated. My own site, UMA Clinical Trials, is one of them. We help point them in the right direction. Hey, maybe this study's appropriate for you. We've already negotiated a budget. We can use the same one for you guys. But other than that, operations-wise, they do everything. Like Each site runs their own however they want. If they want eSource, if they don't want eSource, they're on their own. So there's a lot of different variations also of site networks. Um, so and, I don't and that's think always that's interesting, necessary.
2: right? Because, you know, that could be an interesting power of many of these site networks. It's hard if, if I have a study with 100 different sites, and each site says, oh, I want to use... This e source and this e reg and this combination, you know, all of a sudden, as a CRO or a sponsor, you know, I have a hundred times, you know, 10 in terms of all the different combinations that are out there. But if somebody's bringing me a network of 10, 20 sites and they're all going to run in a similar way you know that just makes life a little bit easier for me to be able to say yes to them and mm-hmm. to and to give them that autonomy to use more of their their own stuff i think in dct in general that's also an aspiration how do we create the standards, both for interoperability and for quality, to let sites use more of their own e-consent, use more of their own video platform. Some sites are trying to deploy their own home health and visiting nurses. That's great. They should. They should own it if they can. But you know, resourcing is already tough, just for coordinators, um, sending them in and out of people's homes in today's environment, just maybe, may break their back today. But I think over the long term, that makes a ton of sense for sites to be able to. Own own and control. But, you know, the, these site, these innovative site models are still sites and they are still judged, evaluated and held accountable to the same standards. I've met some people in roles at pharma that do site identification and qualification specifically for these models that, you know, for mobile units or for some of these other approaches, because, you know, they're, they are taking them seriously.
1: So do you think this, this, I mean, this was a pretty big event. This is not one that we're going to forget anytime soon. Us in the industry. Do you think that this model will continue to be looked at? Or do you think that pharma right now, anyone who was thinking of using like one of these type of site networks um, are reconsidering and, Figuring out their their enrollment um, strategies. <clears throat>
2: I think there is a lot of root cause we need to understand before we can really understand what the what the systemic changes are that will have to take place, but it's going to take a little time. And so until more of those details come out, I do think there'll be a lot more scrutiny in the near term around these approaches, expecting to see robust quality training and oversight in place. People will have to pull their, um, their oversight and uh, risk mitigation plans that they may have for studies that they're running in these approaches and just make sure that they're tight and that they understand the training and qualification for the staff that are interacting with patients today. We'll get more details. And when we do, that'll help us to really tighten up our understanding of where things went wrong here because it is an unprecedented example and an unprecedented scale. But short of that, you know, I think, look, to your point earlier, the same issues that happened here very well might be happening at other sites in anyone's mm-hmm. trial. It just may be a couple of sites here or there, not at this type of scale. Um, we'll uh, time will tell, but I, I do think that this is going to become a, a time of you know nobody wants to be the second headline like this, and so making sure right that the that the oversight uh, and the systems are in place that, you know, we uh, we can, you know, fool me once, right? Fool me twice. Nobody wants to be the, the second one through.
1: Yeah. Do you think that there was an appetite, maybe an unreasonable um, appetite by pharma or by sponsors to kind of hope that this works? Because I've never seen, maybe vaccines, I'm not that experienced in vaccine studies, but a phase three with 18,000 participants, that's a pretty big study. Like, I don't think they're able to pull that off without using these non unconventional models of let's send a bus in this area because that's where Lyme disease is. Don't worry that there's no site there. We'll figure it out. We have a, We have a PI that's going to drive there on a bus. <laughs> like, do you think that's like, that's why they were allowed to do this? Just because there was a need that's not being met? otherwise
2: vaccine studies are different you know there have always been very large systems that can support big numbers in trials you know uh, kaiser up in northern california is known in the vaccine community for driving tons of enrollment into trials it's not unusual right because their studies just are different um You know, they're they tend, you know, depending on the type of vaccine to enroll otherwise healthy people in large numbers who are at risk. Um, And so, you know, the nature of that does tend to mean that there will be some sites that are extreme enrollers. Um, You know, they're they they also tend to be friendly for innovators in that. The visits aren't particularly complicated. Um, The number of visits tends to be pretty light. Um, You know, many of these studies have one dose. In this case, there was more than one dose involved. But, um, you know, it just makes them a little bit easier to try new things.
1: Yeah. Last question, because I know you got to run. I'm actually curious to hear your answer. If you were to own a site right now, what what would be the things you'd be focusing on? Let's say it's multi-therapeutic, uh, maybe not vaccines, but let's say you partnered with an internal medicine doc and you can do just about any kind of study. What would you focus on to keep your site relevant as a site owner?
2: So as a single site owner, I mean, certainly right now, uh, being able to quickly demonstrate confidence in uh, training and qualification for all of my staff, I think, in the very near term is going to become particularly important for people. Um, I do think, though, over the over the midterm, you know, it, it, it is helpful in this story of access to help show that, you know, we're doing everything that we can to support improving access for our patients. Do, as a site, do I have systems or tools in place to help patients with transportation? Um, Can I help to participate in trials that are using video or um, e-consent or other approaches? As an individual site owner, it's hard to make some of those investments on your own right now. I get that. And so at the very least, are my people um, ready to adapt to some of those platforms when they come up? I do think over the next three years though there will be a shift in terms of where some of these tools start to reside. We'll find it easier for sites to be able to invest in some of these tools um, themselves and easier for sponsors to to feel comfortable letting sites use more of their own tools in the process without that you know just becoming chaos from a, a central, you know, study management perspective. But certainly in the very near term right now, just keeping an eye on, on our staff, making sure, look, if we can retain people, great. That's always a good sign for for supporting quality. Um, but, you know, making that investment and, you know, being able to articulate that to, to sponsors very clearly.
1: Yeah, and that's, I, I, from my experience, is that something sponsors really look at is, hey, what are these sites doing? To improve internally, improve their processes. We use Viva site Vault for eReg. We use Creo as well: Creo eSource, Creo eConsent. So I know there's a lot of these tools. Is the is the incentive? I guess for a small site that maybe maybe Craig, they're like, you know what, we're fine with paper. But I understand if the industry wants to head in the direction of everything eSource eReg. Maybe it makes sense for me to choose the tool I'm comfortable with, so that I can be grandfathered in because my SOPs are already accepted, something like DCTRA that's probably in charge of like eventually going to be in charge of creating standards. Is that like the incentive for sites?
2: I still think it's hard, right. Um, you know, to, to know that I'm investing in platforms that sponsors can support and, um, and, and choosing then platforms that I can afford that are uh, that are realistic for me. I think to your point, there are some really good e-regs, some really good CTMS platforms for sites. I haven't looked into the unit economics to see how accessible all of those are for individual sites as compared to large, well-funded site networks, um, how democratized those tools really are so that people feel like it's an investment they can handle and hopefully an investment they can recover
1: yeah well thank you Craig I mean we gotta have you on more often not once every 10 years or twice every (laughs) 10 remember when I interviewed you I interviewed you at scope 2015 where I was walking around I had a videographer I was walking around I interviewed like maybe 20 to 50 people you were one of them the videographer lost all the files. <laughs> so it's basically just me walking around, interviewing one-on-one. Nobody else had ever seen it. But that was our last interview, even though no one else saw it. <laughs>
2: it's, it's, the, it's the lost tapes. Um, the lost tapes. And I'll, I'll mark my calendar for uh, 2032, unless I hear from you before
1: then. Let's do it, man. Do you think by 2032? Right. I mean, where do you see the industry in 2032, actually? Like, just realistically, not like what, where you want to see it, but like, what do you actually think is possible?
2: I do think we'll, we'll keep seeing, you know, some more roll-ups of, of many of the networks of sites that we've seen. Um, but those networks will still represent a very small percent of the overall site universe that yeah. sponsors are, are working with. I think we'll see a more significant role for health systems, to play in some of this space. I think as we're talking, for example, about you'd mentioned that virtual or meta site example, I think that there's a really good play there for large health systems to be Mm. the meta site. It doesn't have to be a a venture backed or, you know, entrepreneur funded company being the meta site. It could very well be the Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, Kaiser or someone else that has brand and is known by sponsors for. Delivering, you know, with quality uh, across yeah. investigators in different therapeutic areas, I think we'll see, as I was hinting at, um, much more democratized access to tools for sites, um, where uh, thanks to interoperability um, and things like this digital data flow aspiration, we can start to let sites use more of their own tools and investment, um, starting with basics like you're describing with e-reg or e-consent or um, video for visits. But I, I'm really hoping that things like e-source and others that really start to um, make it easier for sites to have an infrastructure that they can deploy across studies, whether it's single site or multi-center. And, you know, that's gonna be dramatic for improving quality. When all of your staff, Dan, are just able to use the same tools every day, whether it's a Merck or a Pfizer study, whether it's neuroscience or vaccine, that should make uh, quality better, uh, not just yeah. efficiency and satisfaction. But there's no reason why we can't do that in that time frame. It just takes us defining quality and defining interoperability.
1: Yeah, I think so. And in the meantime, Everybody can follow Craig. I mean, who who doesn't follow you? But there's always new people. Craig's LinkedIn profile is underneath. He's always doing things like Clubhouse chats. Um, I haven't been on Clubhouse since 2020, Craig. Why not Twitter spaces? Why Clubhouse? Is it just because you, you like it or... You
2: know, we we switched for a little while over to LinkedIn Live audio, which was I thought was great. It's um, you know so many so many people I connect with today are through LinkedIn, but um, it didn't quite offer us all the same features like the ease of, in particular, saving and downloading um, that Clubhouse still has. So uh, you know maybe maybe we're the last club on Clubhouse. We'll see. But uh, I don't think we've shut down the platform just yet. Um, we'll make a move when it makes sense. As far as Twitter spaces goes, I thought, you know, Twitter was just getting a little wonky on us for a while there. So maybe when the dust settles, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kick the tires with that again. Right now, Decentralized Trials Club on Clubhouse. If folks are over there or they want to create an account, we've got a year and a half's worth of content available there. And as I hinted at earlier, we're we're starting to repackage some of that for um, – podcast platforms as well but give me a follow on twitter or linkedin and uh we'll, you'll you'll be able to see uh when that content goes out there or join us any friday at 12 noon eastern time where, where as you said we're still live there on clubhouse and uh we we welcome all
1: man I may may have to re-download that app Craig. um <laughs> but thank you so much yeah Craig, i'm for sure your phone
2: up. offloaded it to save memory due to lack of use
1: right uh, no, it's on my other phone, actually. I don't trade in my old phones anymore. It's There's, like, the economics of that doesn't make. That's another podcast. But, yeah, I just keep them for the storage at this point. Uh, Craig Lipset, everybody, all right? The one and only. We'll do it again, Craig. Follow him right now on LinkedIn. Go join the Clubhouse thing uh, every Friday with him. Get familiar with this stuff. It's not going away. I've been following him since 2009. A lot of the stuff he's been talking about back then, we're using now so he's a futurist in many ways but a practical one not one that just kind of talks an idealistic sense of what they want it's he knows the industry so thank you very much craig I appreciate Thank you it. to
2: you, Dan, and uh, to your whole community uh, that you uh, have kept together for this long. You've been, as we say, you've been at this for a minute. You've been at this for more than a minute, Dan, and uh, you're doing it right. You've got a great, uh, great community you've brought together, and it's always a pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you, man. Just getting started. Everybody go follow Craig. Like, subscribe, comment, share right now. Bye-bye.